so we've, we've, we've been examining the lives of these uh, men of faith. We call it the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 11. We've been looking at the lives of these patriarchs, these women of God, these men of God, uh, patriarchs and matriarchs, who uh, through their faith uh, uh, did great exploits. In fact, uh, Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32 has been one of our anchor texts for this series. And this is what it says. It says, they that know their God will first of all be strong and they will do exploits. Somebody say, that's me. You were designed, you were created to be strong and to do exploits, amen? And so when we read about these men and women of faith in Hebrews 11, uh, their lives are examples of the possibilities that you and I can experience in everyday life. These were ordinary men, ordinary women who simply knew their God and took God at his word. You and I can have similar experiences and see God show up in big and profound ways just as these men and women experienced God. Today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 uh, beginning at verse 32 and I'll just read that quickly uh, because today we're going to revisit the life of uh, one of the most notable characters in all of scripture. His name is David. He is the most celebrated king of Israel but when we find him mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 it's almost an afterthought. It's almost a footnote. When you read the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 11 uh, there are entire paragraphs uh, dedicated to Noah and Abraham and Jacob. But when we find uh, uh, verse 32, when we land on verse 32, I like to call it honorable mention uh, because it's almost like the cliff notes of Hebrews chapter 11, almost as if these men are an afterthought. Verse 32 reads, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, also of David. All right. Uh, So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, man, I don't even have enough time to elaborate and to to sort of deep dive, deep dive the lives of these men. Uh, But David is mentioned here in the text. And as I began to think about the life of David, there are so many things that I could say about David. And the more I prayed about it and the more I thought about it, it's like, hey, man, uh, let's let's examine David's response to adversity. Because here's the truth, City Church. We can impress people with our successes, but people will only identify with our struggles. If all I ever talk to you about, if all I ever share is my mountaintop experiences, I can impress you. You'll have something to look up to. But if I get down with you and say, bruh, I know exactly what you're dealing with because I've lived through it as well. Not only do I connect with you, but now you have something to identify with. And it was Stephen Furtick who said, uh, most of us struggle, most of us struggle because we try to compare our behind the scenes life with everybody else's highlight reel. Can I tell you when you look on Facebook and Instagram, all you're seeing is somebody's filtered, the pictures aren't even real. Because it's gone through a filter. And we compare what we know about ourselves, our private struggles, to their perfection. And how many of you realize that when they take them pictures, they make sure they don't show you the dishes in the sink? I have yet to see. Well, I've seen those before now, but I think it's an accident. You know how they take the selfie? And you got the, 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 the closet door open behind you? 
and you see the pile of dirty clothes? Nobody intentionally does that because we've been conditioned to impress people with our successes. But where the transformation happens is when I can get down in the pit with you and you can get down in the pit with me and we can work through our struggles together. That's the way God always intended the church to be. Yet the church has become. Uh, it's like every Sunday is Halloween. Every Sunday is a masquerade ball where we wear these masks and pretend that everything's fine when our lives are falling apart. And the key to winning in life and experiencing the life that Jesus promised is not the false impressions that I give people that everything in my life is okay, but learning how to manage my private pain well. And so instead of talking about how, how, how David killed Goliath and how he did all these tremendous exploits for God and, and how he was this prolific songwriter and how he was an amazing musician and how he was good looking and how David, uh, Saul slayed his thousands, but David slayed his ten thousands. I just want to take a glimpse into the life of David when he is at his lowest. And maybe we can learn a couple of lessons from David this morning. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter number 30, and we'll pick up the conversation uh, where we left off. Because we're about to see David <clears throat> confronted with adversity, confronted with one of the biggest interruptions he's ever experienced. Let me tell you something. <laughs> ah, man. My prayer, my prayer is that before the interruption happens, that you've already prepared your heart and soul. I pray that before, God forbid, the disappointment happens, that you have so anchored yourself in God that you don't lose your identity when you lose your ability. I'll say that again. That you do not lose your identity when you lose your ability. Because there are people who lose a job and that's the end. Never recover from it. There are people who lose their ability to play and never recover from it. There are people whose lives are so wrapped up in their relationships that they're devastated because of a divorce. And I'm not minimizing the pain of it. But you better be so anchored in God that no matter what you lose, you still know who you are. Because you're not defined by what you have. You're not defined by what the critics say. You are defined by who God says you are. And the worst time to learn how to swim is when you're drowning. And when life strips stuff away and all you have left is you. Do you even know who you are? When the house is gone. When the cars are gone, when the kids don't want to talk to you no more, when your friends are gone, 
and your life is filled with critics. Do you even know who you are? Inky Johnson was anchored in God. His identity was in God before he lost his ability. And most of us, Damon, focus on investing the best of our lives on things that are temporal, that have a shelf life, that only have benefit in this life. And when those things are gone, you start scratching your head. And we define our lives by our career, our stuff. And that's why I like that song, country song, I've never seen a U-Haul on a hearse. Some of you will get that at lunch and you'll just, ha, 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 Yeah, go to a funeral and you probably ain't going to see a U-Haul on the back of that hearse because you can't take stuff with you. Better be anchored in something more than your ability and your achievements and your accolades and your position. You better be anchored in God. In God. Job lost everything. Even his wife, the last per- the person he turned to after he had lost everything. Check, check out what his, what his wife said. His wife said, Man, why don't you just curse God and die? But most of us miss what she said before that. This is what she told Job. The first part of that, her response was, Job, are you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die? You know what she was saying? She was saying, you celebrated God in the good times, but you're still celebrating him in the bad times? Now that everything's gone, you still have a praise in your mouth? Better curse God and die. Job was so anchored in God that even after he lost everything, that's what pain management is, he still worshiped his God. And Job's response was, will I receive good from him and not evil? Not that God is the author of evil, but Job was saying, my praise And my identity is not just connected to the good. Because even when life gets hard, God is still good. God did not change with your circumstances. I want you to hear that. God did not, will not, does not change with your circumstances. So if God is still the same, can I still worship him and praise him in the midst of my disappointments? Absolutely. And that's what pain management looks like. Oh, all of that was just my interruption, um, uh, introduction. My interruption. My introduction. Let me get into my message. All my first time guests are like, he for real? Ron Thomas, I'm going to get you, man. I'm going to get you. No, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Short and sweet. The key is learning to manage the tension 
between my Elah, the valley of Elah, where David boldly and courageously confronted Goliath in my Ziklag. There, there ought to be a mature biblical response to life's successes when I take down Goliath, but also when I'm confronted with my own personal Ziklag. Because Ziklag happens to us all. So, 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 so the first thing I told you uh, three weeks ago, and, and I say three weeks ago because uh, I was gone for Father's Day and then we had Adonis and Heather with us last Sunday. And, uh, but three weeks ago, uh, the key, if you're going to manage pain well, y'all with me? If you're going to manage pain well, if you're going to get through what you're going through, number one, realize it's what you know that determines how you get through life. It's what you know. It's what you know. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, All things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Until, until I had this epiphany. I was getting ready to preach at a church in Flower Mount, Rock Point Church. Um, one of our overseers, uh, Ron Holton, pastor of that church, he invited me to speak. And, uh, and as I'm preparing the message, I was sharing my story of coming from Liberia, living through the Civil War. And, uh, and uh, I closed with Romans 8, 28. And the Lord says, what's the most important phrase in that verse? Uh, sorry, sorry. Um, all things work together for the, for the good of them that love the Lord and call to good. I read it. He said, read it again. He said, all things work together for the good of them. I kept reading it until I realized uh, how the verse begins. It says, and we know. Uh, the rest of the verse doesn't matter if you don't know. If you don't know that all this stuff that's going happening right now that I'm going through right now, it has a happy ending. The question is, what do you really know? What do you really know? In fact, I'm asking myself, what do I really know? Because what I know determines my response. Whether it's going to be childish or childlike faith where I simply take God at his word. What do you know right now, right now? What are you certain of? What are you fully persuaded about? Because it will be tested. It will be tested. So here are a couple of things that you need to know. Are y'all ready? Uh, sometimes trouble happens and it's, it's, it's just the result of circumstances, bad circumstances, bad things happening. <clears throat> But I would venture to say, and this is not scientific, y'all, but I would venture to say that most of the struggles we have in life have to do with people. So can I start there? Can I start there? I'm talking about pain management because you can go through the Rolodex of your life and you will discover that some of the most painful experiences you have had in your life came at the hands of people. Right? There are some things that just happen, and it could be a diagnosis or something like that is, that is, that is uh, an, an adversity that you experience, an interruption that you experience. But man, I would venture to say that for most of us in this room right now, 
you're thinking about somebody who has caused you a lot of <laughs> Almost said it. Thank you. I won't. So, so if you're going through a difficult time and you're going to manage pain in your life, here's, here's something to know. Here is something to know. Y'all ready for this? Here is something you got to know. Y'all ready for it? You got to know. You got to know that you know. Let me tell you what it is. Number one. Know that this world is broken. And it is filled with imperfect people. And then say this after me. And I am one of them. I want you to hear that. This world is broken. And it is filled with imperfect people. And I am one of them. If you and I are going to manage pain well, one of the things that we have to settle once and for all is that this world is broken and it is filled with imperfect people. And I am just as broken and just as imperfect as the person who hurt me. We don't want to hear that. Because human tendency is to take the speck out of my brother's eye when I've got a giant log sticking out my own eye. And you've heard me say this before. If we will just take the time to examine ourselves, what we will discover after we take the giant log out of our own eye is that maybe there wasn't a speck in my brother's eye after all. What I thought was a speck in them was actually a result of distorted vision because of the log in my own eye. If you and I are going to manage pain well, realize right off the bat, this world is broken. And all around me, there's imperfect people, and I am one of them. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2 from the New Living Translation. I love this verse because this is what it says. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be what? Patient with each other. Here, here it is. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You know what Paul's saying? Is that because you and I live in a broken world that's filled with imperfect people, clear out some room in your life. Clear out some room in your heart for all the imperfect people you will encounter. Open your heart. And you know what? You say, man, things are good right now. Things are great right now. But there's a possibility that because we live in a broken world and I interact with imperfect people and I am one of them, that this relationship could go south. And the way I manage the pain of the disappointment is I make room now. Why? Because of my love. One of the greatest uh, treatments for pain is love. Come on, somebody. And this is what the scripture says about love. The scripture says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, 
that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. You know what that means? It has been poured out profusely. That means I have the capacity to love in the midst of my own pain. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Uh, when imperfect people do imperfect things, the worst thing you can do is respond in an imperfect way. It just perpetuates the cycle. It amazes me when people say, I ain't going to forgive them. I'm just going to hold on to this. Let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you the problem with that. <clears throat> can I tell you the problem with that? The problem with that thinking is that God told you to let him go. So your insistence that you're not going to let him go, whose voice are you listening to? God didn't tell you that. God didn't tell you to keep that person in unforgiveness. So whose voice am I entertaining? When I refuse to say I'm sorry, when I refuse to say I forgive you, I promise you the voice that you are entertaining and giving heed to is not the voice of the God you claim to serve. And let me tell you something, something else. My choice not to forgive them keeps me in a prison of my own making. So make room. Because if you're going to manage pain in your life, and if the majority of the pain that you and I experience comes at the hands of people, just make room and say, look, you just as broken and busted and disgusted as I am, Let's give each other some mercy. Let's be humble and gentle. Let's be patient one with another. And let's make an allowance for each other's faults. In 1968, Dr. Kent Keith wrote these 10 statements that are now referred to as the paradoxical commandments. In fact, Mother Teresa is, is credited with having written them, but she didn't author these Ten Commandments. They were just posted in, uh, in the orphanage in Calcutta where she served for many years, for decades. And so most people, when they read the paradoxical commandments, they credit Mother Teresa. But Mother Teresa was so impacted by these Ten, these ten Paradoxical Commandments that they were posted in her orphanage. And so when I say make room, make allowance for other people's faults, here's 10 ways we can do that. Y'all ready? 10 ways you can do that. Because when we do these 10 things, what we're practicing is pain management. Y'all ready? Dr. Keith wrote in 1968, check this out. When he wrote these 10 paradoxical commandments, he was writing them for student leaders for a youth group. And they have gone around the world, universities, churches, Mother Teresa, politicians have quoted these words. Dr. Kent Keith wrote, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. I'm talking about a mature response to life's successes and struggles. That when you encounter somebody who is self-centered, who is illogical and unreasonable, pain management, love them anyway. If you do good, 
people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. But do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies succeed anyway. I love this one. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. But do good anyway. Y'all have heard Wendy and I talk about that. Remember the good. When relationships go south, the first thing we forget is the good. He says, do good anyway. He says, honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Woo! When you choose to tell the truth, it's going to make you vulnerable. And let me tell you what, 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 what we don't want. Most of us don't want the truth. In marriages, you guys hear us talk about it. In relationships, we don't want the truth. We don't give people permission to tell the truth. So eventually they stop talking. Why you don't talk to me no more? Because every time I open my mouth, you shut it down and you don't want to hear it. I can't even trust you with what I'm feeling. I can't even trust you with the truth. And notice what Proverbs says. It says the wounds of, an, of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. This is what we like. We like to gravitate toward people who tell us what we want to hear. But they're truly your enemy. But when somebody who loves you tries to speak the truth, you give them the hand. Okay? Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but they will only follow top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. That's what most of us do, right? We, 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 we abandon the friend who's struggling and we follow the friend who's, who's winning. All we do is win, win, win. Hey! Hey! That's who we want to follow. And we abandon the under... My daughter's... <laughs> my daughter's rolling on the front row. Did I, did I do good? Y'all want to see the floss again? I tried that. <laughs> I've been working on it for three weeks. I'm almost there. I got to get the cross over to the other side. That's what I'm struggling with. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, underdogs. Underdogs. Can I tell you sometimes why we struggle, people? Why we struggle? And one of the pain management tools I am learning and applying to my own life is that sometimes we become so fixated on potential, what could be, what could happen that we become frustrated with the present. I'm talking to somebody, I don't know who it is. Let me tell you why you're frustrated with this present moment. You're not even celebrating the good things in your life now. You're frustrated with the presence because you're so fixated on the potential. 
Oh man, by now, oh, let me do it. I'm talking to me now. I'm talking to me. Man, by now we're supposed to be hitting like 500, 750, 1,000 people every Sunday morning. It's like, man, we've been grinding. And if you become so fixated on what could be, you can't even celebrate what is. And let me tell you the problem with that. If you become frustrated with the present, you make no room to give thanks to God for the things you do have. And you resort to murmuring and complaining instead of giving thanks for what you do have. That's another way to manage pain. Be thankful for what you do have. Don't become so frustrated with the present just because you're fixated with potential. And the reason most of us are frustrated with our potential is because our lives are all about comparison. Oh, yeah, you can be my friend as long as I can one-up you. But when you buy that new car, guess what? I'm going to buy a new one. You buy a 5 Series BMW, I'm going to get me an M5. Because... I'm only happy with myself and I'm only secure as long as I can one-up you. And it's difficult looking up to God in humility when you're so used to looking down at people in pride. As long as you go through life looking down on people and that is your source of security and identity, you will rarely take the time to look up and say, God, I desperately need you. I desperately need you. I desperately need you. That if you don't do it, it can't be done. And that's where most of us live our lives, looking down. And so we never see how desperately we need to look up. Uh, I'm going to close here. I didn't even get through my first point, but I'm going to close with these paradoxical commandments. It says, what you, spend your, what you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. Woo, check this one out. People really need help, but may attack you if you try to help them. Come on, somebody. I've been in full-time ministry in some capacity for 17 years. Pastored City Church for seven. And I've learned that. That a lot of times people go through life with their dukes up. <laughs> Woo! And even when you try to help them. Even when you try to help them. First response is to hit you back. And, and, and uh, uh, my wife and I call it the, the ex-boyfriend syndrome. You make the new guy pay for what the last guy did. Because you never managed the pain. And so, inevitably, hurt people. People who don't deal with their pain make life painful for others. 
if I'm suffering, you're going to suffer too. I'm going to make sure you are as miserable as I am. Yet there is a mature Christ-like response when life's not going my way. And I realize that sometimes the people I've had the greatest struggles with are people that I've been trying to say, and I'm learning this too, but I'm saying, let's go back to God's word because God's word is, and those are the people I have the most trouble with. Because we love our tantrums. Because I know if I could throw enough of a tantrum, I'll get somebody's attention. Time to grow up, man. It's time to grow up. It is time to grow up. Uh, I had an epiphany when Nia started middle school. And I think it was, maybe it was sixth or seventh grade. And one day she came home and was telling us about stuff she was dealing with in middle school. I said, you in, I think it was, it was sixth grade. She had just started middle school. I said, you in sixth grade and y'all dealing with this kind of drama? And then I realized. That some people never outgrow their sixth grade drama. So what I'm seeing on Real Housewives of Atlanta started in sixth grade. And grown people bring their childlike tantrums forward into adulthood. I thought Nia was dealing with grown woman drama, but that's grown women dealing with unresolved middle school drama. And they are having a childish response to life's disappointments. They're acting like children. And guess what? That's where most people get their relationship advice. From grown, childish women. On TV, living in mansions, throwing tantrums. And that has become our normal. And we never even crack open the Bible. And we wonder why relationships don't work. Because we're getting our information about how to respond to pain from the wrong sources. Okay. This is where I'll close. Did I say I said that before? I said with the paradoxical commandments, right? Paradoxical commandments. This is the last one. Come on, somebody. Now, this is where you got to be grown to do this work right here. You got to be straight up grown. This is not for the faint of heart. Y'all ready? Give the world the best you have, and you'll get kicked in your teeth. But give the world the best you have anyway. Now, let me tell you why that one's hard. Because we say, fool me once, 
shame on me. I mean, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So this is what we do. That ain't never going to happen to me again. And we withhold the best of what we have to offer to the ones who come next because of the people who are no longer in our lives and what they did. Listen to this. Jesus healed 10 lepers. And none of them saw that their lives were better because of what Jesus had invested in them. And all of them went on to their new life. Woo, life is good. I'm not a leper no more. I don't need Jesus. Because I can make it on my own. I don't need city church no more. Because life is better. I don't need God no more. Because I got that six-figure income. And after Jesus healed them, they were on the outskirts of the city, couldn't even come into the city. Jesus heals them. Didn't even come back. Now, let me do Except one. The one who came back, tremendous gratitude in his heart. Let me tell you the problem with that. If we're not careful, remember, we make the people closest to us pay for what everybody else did. Jesus, listen, listen to Jesus now. Jesus says to the one who came back, listen to Jesus now. This is the humanity of Jesus because we say that Jesus was fully man and fully God. It is a mystery that I can't even explain, but Jesus is fully human and he is fully divine. And in his humanity, because it's easy for us to talk about Jesus in his divinity. But Jesus, as a man, as a human being with feelings, turns to the one guy that came back and says, pump the brakes, bruh. One that 10 of y'all? Didn't, didn't I just help 10 people? Didn't I just pour the best of what I had into 10 of y'all? And Jesus says, where are the nine? It speaks of a sort of expectation. That when you, when you, when you give the world your best, that at some point they're going to say, man, thank you. Hmm? Jesus asked that question. Hold on. <laughs> where the nine dudes, man? I just... I just and Jesus has the presence of mind to minister to the one. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't let what the nine didn't do keep you from giving your best to the one who did the right thing. Because we often withhold, well, these nine people hurt me, and I ain't going to help this one no more. Because if I give it to him, he might break my heart too. He might hurt me too. So I'm just going to hold, withhold it. Listen. The scripture says nine of them were cleansed of their leprosy, but one was made whole. If you read the word in the Greek, totally different word. Because if you know leprosy is a degenerative disease, it will eat your limbs, your, 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 your digits. And, and the nine were cleansed where there was no physical evidence of the disease, but the one who came back and gave thanks was fully restored. Fully restored, meaning the fingers that weren't there were now there. Jesus gives 
to the one who came back to give thanks more than what the nine ungrateful jokers were unwilling to say thank you for. Listen to what I'm saying. Jesus still gave his best, even though he had to deal with the disappointment of the nine who didn't come back. I'm talking about a grown-up response when life disappoints you. Can I still give my best when I've been hurt? Check this out, man. I came loaded today. Didn't even get through my first point. Because it's what you know that determines how you get through life. And if you're going to manage your pain, you've got to realize that this world is broken. Filled with imperfect people. And I am one of them. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name.